know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. I'm in the mind to talk about our conference because we just wrapped up our 16th annual conference last week. We hold it at the University of Toledo and it's always in September and it's always on a Thursday and a Friday. The last few years we've started, we kicked it off on a Wednesday and we have high school students that come and they spend the entire day learning about human rights and social justice and human trafficking and how to be safe. This year we had about 450 high school students. The main conference hosts at least a thousand attendees, but this year we quickly sold out. Uh, we've reached probably over 1,200 people, and this was the first time in 16 years that we had to cut off registration early. Um, and so that has led us to believe that next year we likely need a new venue so that we can continue to grow. So let me tell you a little bit about the conference. We probably have about 80 or so presenters. We typically have had six or seven rooms going at the same time. Our presentations are about an hour each, so people might speak for 45 minutes or 50 minutes, and then they'll leave 10 or 15 minutes for questions. Um, and we have beginner sessions and sort of intermediate sessions and advanced kind of sessions because people come back and they want to learn more. So we have to satisfy those newbies that come and they need human trafficking overview and 101 and then those people that need more advanced education and training. Over the course of 16 years, we have hosted over 22 states, representatives from 22 states, and representatives from over 30 countries. They come, they present, they connect, they network, and it's a wonderful experience. We haven't actually sat down and figured out what has been the result of this conference. What, what has come about because people met at the conference? We have a few anecdotal stories, but you know, the ripple effect of people taking information home to their communities, to their cities, to their villages around the world and making a difference. We haven't been able to calculate what the result of that has been. We do know that people have met at the conference, they've done research and they published together. They've met on planes on the way to the conference. They've met in the van from the airport or the hotel to the conference. And they've decided to collaborate and partner in some way. And there's been a beautiful result. We know that people have taken back ideas and implemented policies in their agencies and laws in their states and developed new programs and new ways to do street outreach or better ways to do case management and serve victims. 
I want to share with you uh, how I started the conference and that was 16 years ago in 2004. I was sitting around and I was talking to people and I was saying, you know, we really need to know what other cities are doing um, in terms of prostitution trafficking and they need to know what we're doing. We need to collaborate. We need to learn from each other. What do you call that? Oh, that's called a conference. Okay, let's have one. And somebody said, well, we don't have money. I mean, we can't do this. And I said, we never have money. So why is that going to stop us? Do we know a student that knows how to put up a website? Okay, put up a website. Call it a national conference. So our one of our committee members said, well, I mean, who are we to be hosting a national conference? I mean, who has legitimized us? to do that and so you know I took out my magic wand I put it over her head I said now you've been legitimized to do this so we've got to be the leaders we're looking for so let's put it together uh, they said how are people gonna get here well maybe people are willing to buy their own airline ticket to present well why would they do that well maybe they are so eager to share information and learn from others that they might come and so we put up a website we said it was a national conference and people started submitting abstracts to present and we thought okay we'll have we'll do it once and we'll have one room and we'll have presentations every hour and there you have it uh, by the time it was time for the conference. We had to open up three rooms, do a presentation every hour in every room because the demand was so great. People just really wanted to share information and network. Also, we said we'll have the conference for one full day. It ended up being two full days because we had so many people that wanted to present and so many people that wanted to hear from the presenters. We had about 300 people attend, um, and at the end of the conference, people came up to me and said, you got to do this again. you got to do it next year. And I was so exhausted. I didn't want to do it, but I said, well, maybe I'll think about it, you know, and so some months went by, and it's sort of like, you know, when you're pregnant and you have a baby and you say to yourself, I'll never do that again, and then, you know, time goes by and you forget all the pain that you were in and so then you do it again so I decided I'll do it again and I held a second conference and same thing happened a lot of people came a lot of people presented it was excellent information people from universities who were academics and they had research to share people that were doing street outreach came and talked about how they did street outreach activists activists came um, it was fabulous and again people said well you know, can you do this again? Just do it one more year. So I did. And by that time, I had a, a couple of volunteers. Um, you know, I had a, a partner in crime. Uh, she was a librarian, and her and I would put our heads together and, and, and put this conference together. We still didn't have money. We, we would borrow money, host the conference, and then pay the money back. We, we weren't making any money. We were just you know, wanted to get people together to network, collaborate, and learn from each other. And so 
We did things like called our friends and said, hey, over at your church, like how many copies can you make of materials for the conference before you get in trouble? And we'd call this social service agency and we'd say, hey, how many copies can you make before somebody notices? And then we ran around town and we picked up all the copies. Um, I remember going to Office Depot and comparing prices and trying to buy folders and pins for people to be able to take notes during the conference. And the conference began to grow. And more people were coming and more people were coming. And I was managing the website and all of the emails that were coming in and just really, um, it was a crazy time. Um, I don't I don't see myself being able to do that 16 years later. Um, now at the conference, you know, when we want copies, uh, we send them out to, you know, um, an agency that makes copies or we need posters or whatever we need. We just have those things made. But back then, um, I ran around with some volunteers that would help and we got the things done. One thing that I made sure uh, to have at the conference is to make sure that information is shared and that there is a diversity of thought. And so our conference is not a political conference where we all agree and we choose those presenters who all agree. Ours is an academic conference in that we have varying perspectives and varying ways of knowing. And so you might see a um, religious group that has done years of work with survivors or at-risk populations. You might see an academic, a researcher that has done research in this area and presented. You might see a survivor that is now a thriver and wants to share their story, share their story. And you all might, you also might see uh, empowered sex workers who come and present about their oppression, not being able to choose to do with their body what they want to do with their body. And so you'll see various aspects and we have criteria for people who submit abstracts so one clear example is if you're a researcher then your abstract should talk about your methodology your findings uh, that type of thing if you are a survivor then we're going to be looking for how many years have you been out of this experience and that have you presented before? Do you have the experience of presenting? So that we're kind of watching to make sure that um, this may not be the first time you're telling your story because we don't want you to be rewounded by some silly question from an audience member. So we have various criteria in which to select abstracts and select presenters. In the beginning of the conference and during the morning welcome, I always remind people that this is an academic conference with diversity of thought and varying perspectives, but that each person that is presenting did their homework, they are an expert in that area. And I ask people to go to those that re-energize them, inspire them, recharge them, and then I ask them to consider going to one that they know they don't agree with. They read the description and they don't agree. To go to that session, sit respectfully, learn 
the argument, learn your opponent's argument. Because maybe at the end of the session, you say, well, that's why I don't agree with this perspective. But at least you understand the entire argument, the entire debate and perspective. Or maybe you have to expand your brain to now adopt this perspective as well. Either way, that's how knowledge is advanced. That's how knowledge moves forward. And overall, the conference evaluations have been excellent. And I think they've been excellent because we really do attend to the attendees. We try to meet their needs. We read those evaluations. We make changes based on those evaluations. And all of our volunteers, and now we use about 50 volunteers, all of our volunteers have been trained to be welcoming, to be warm, to be nice, and to get our attendees what they need. And so we say to our volunteers every year, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, continue to be nice and warm and kind. There are people that traveled a long way to present information or to receive information. And it's important that they have a good time and that they're able to relax and that they're able to receive information. And they might be cranky or they might be frustrated, but please be kind and nice to them. Get them what they need and you know, make sure that they have a good time. And I think people that come to the conference, they learn a lot. It's very difficult information to receive. And so I tell people at the conference all the time, Please, I know you came here with your high heels on, maybe your Spanx on, maybe if you're a guy, your tie up to your throat. But what we really want you to do is bring your heart and bring your brain. And so loosen that tie, go in the bathroom, take those Spanx off, kick off those shoes, put on your comfortable shoes, and be ready to receive the information. We know you're cute. We saw that you're cute. Now we need you to receive the information and to go back and take action once you return back home. The first two years that I ran the conference, you know, I had some cultural aspects to myself. So I had my mother cook lunch for everybody. My mother and my sister, they brought in food. And, you know, here comes the university saying, wait a minute, you can't just have your mother and your sister cooking people's lunch. This is an institution. There's liability. You have to go with an authorized caterer. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know that I couldn't do that. <laughs> of course, of course, I was pretty sure that I couldn't do that. But I wanted people to feel welcomed at the conference. Probably about the fourth year into the conference, the news found out that we were having uh, uh prostitution focused conference and so they really didn't understand what was happening and so they did promos they did commercials about two hours before the six o'clock news that said you know hookers on the campus of the University of Toledo tune in at six well my committee thought that was horrible because they really didn't understand what the issue is that we we're trying to tackle I thought it was fine because that's free promotion and then these voyeurs will run out to the university to see these hookers on campus and what they'll actually do is learn something they'll walk away with the new understanding of the fight against human trafficking of course the central administration at the university found out 
that there were these hookers going to be on campus. And they called over to my dean and my chair. And who, who is responsible for having hookers on the campus? Who authorized this? And of course, when they talked to me, I said, why well, I, I wasn't aware that I needed permission to host an event on campus. In essence, I my second bite at the apple to say, you know, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Um, and so I'm sort of of the mind of uh, begging for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. Because I feel like sometimes when something is really, really needed, you can get caught up in all the bureaucracies. Now, I know you can't go around living your life like that. But if you have an integrity, if you have a code of ethics, and if people don't understand the injustice and the oppression, and that's what was happening at that time, then sometimes you need to have that space where people can get together, discuss, and begin to intervene and make a difference. And sometimes the powers that be don't understand at that time what you're trying to do. Much later into the process, people started calling the university and a couple of people even wrote letters and said, that conference is amazing, it's fabulous. And I'm so proud to be a part of a university that takes on such an issue. And it just so happens that the university's mission is to improve the human condition and people would mention that they loved the way the university chose to see uh, how to improve the human condition and the population that they chose to focus on is a disenfranchised, invisible and oppressed population. And so once the university started hearing that, then they quickly got it and they said, ah, yes, we do want to be a part of this type of process and this type of change and we want that conference to be on our campus. And you have to remember as a social justice leader that not everyone is going to understand in the beginning what you're doing. They don't understand that you have an integrity. They don't understand that you live by a code of ethics. They don't understand that you believe in the humanity of people and social justice and human rights. They just see liability and problems. And so when you're at that crossroads, You'll have to decide for yourself. I would never tell anybody to go forward and do the kinds of things that I did because it all is risky. But when you're at that fork in the road, you have to make the decision for yourself. For instance, Martin Luther King didn't follow unjust laws. What he did was considered illegal at times. But in his mind, it was still unjust and he didn't follow unjust laws. But, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder with, when that time comes, what you decide to do is solely your decision. I decided to move forward with the conference and I'm happy that I did because now every year, I know that students come to the conference and some of them say, I want to change my major or oh, I know what I want to do now with the rest of my life they become passionate and committed I know people come to the conference they get new ideas they take them back to their communities they get busy changing laws and developing 
programs are changing the way that they did their business before. And it inspires me. It inspires me to do better next year and and do better the year after that. So that's the conference. That's how it got started. And I want to invite you to consider submitting an abstract to present at next year's conference or to come and attend and learn and network and meet everybody and have fun and be in the room with your peeps, with your homies, people that are interested in human rights and social justice, just like you, and people that wanna fight human trafficking. The last few years, we've even offered a private dinner to the survivors that come. So this year we had about 60 survivors that held a private dinner and we helped support that dinner. The woman that runs the dinner is Teresa Flores and she is a fabulous thriver that works with a lot of survivors. We make these uh, survivors goodie bags of candy and makeup, perfume, gloves, whatever we can get in terms of donations, just so that they're, as they're eating dinner and processing the day, that they have a little gift bag to take home. Because some of our survivors, um, it's overwhelming for them because they're in a space where there's a thousand other people that are all there to support people like them that have had their experiences There's so much love in the room. Sometimes it's overwhelming and they can start crying. Sometimes it's triggering, not only for the survivors, but it can be triggering for people, professionals that have vicarious trauma or people that are learning something for the first time or being reminded of something that connects to their past. And so we have safe people that are trained to process with attendees at the conference that become overwhelmed. And we have a reception at the end of the first day for the presenters and the volunteers that stand on their feet all day. And we feed them wonderful hors d'oeuvres and wine. And we hope that they have the energy to continue to volunteer and present and attend the remainder of the conference. My favorite thing of all is to walk past people who are engaged in conversation and to see someone like a a nun at the lunch table with a sex worker and a police officer. Those are my favorite things to see because, and, and I wanna be a fly on the wall to see what that conversation is about, but I love to see people stretch and try to connect with people who are so very different from them because that is in their lies, our humanity. If we can sit down, break bread, have a discussion with people who are very different from us and may have very different viewpoints than us, that's how we make progress in this country and around the world. As the saying goes, be the change you wanna see in the world. I will. Will you? Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.